0: Well, for those of you who are with us, you know we're in the middle of a study of the book of Second Peter, and it's actually a letter, a letter written by the Apostle Peter. And in the last couple of weeks we've been trying to wrap up chapter one. And chapter one has been really orchestrated and written by Peter to give Christian people a confidence in who they are in Christ. You see, the people that Peter was writing to, they were in the midst of their own kooky culture. They lived in a time where there's corruption in government. They lived in a time where there is just an overwhelming immorality of culture. And they lived at a time where there is division in the church and there were questions in the midst of Christians. To a result, that churches were shrinking and Christians were fleeing. And as in the midst of all of that, the Apostle Peter wanted to write a note. And it's an important note because it was a note his last letter before he would lose his life. Peter, knowing that his death was imminent, wrote one final message of encouragement, of exhortation to Christians, not only in their kooky culture back then, but Christians in our kooky culture today. And chapter one was really focused on Peter wanting us to have a confidence in our salvation His first part was to help us understand that we can have a confidence in what Jesus has already done in our lives, that he has declared us justified, that he has reunited us in relationship with God. Look at what he said in some of the first early verses. He said, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory, And excellence. Peter wants to make sure Christians back then and today have confidence in what Jesus has already given to them, but also, then he moved on, confidence in what Jesus continues to give them. Not only that Jesus has already declared you justified, but he is involved in this sanctification process that rids your life of more and more sin and fills it with more and more of the characteristics of God. Look how he described it. Later in chapter one, he said, therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing of you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. Peter wants to make sure Christians back then and today have this confidence, not only of what Jesus did, but what Jesus will continue to do in your life and through your life. But there's one more aspect. that Peter wanted us to have confidence, and that's in his word. Not just have confidence in what Jesus did and what Jesus continues to do, but in the Word of God. Look what he said about that. Second Peter chapter one nineteen. He says, You have the prophetic word made more sure, to which you would do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. Peter's goal in chapter one have confidence in your salvation. Have confidence in what Jesus has not only done in your life, is continuing to do in your life, and what he's given you to lead you and guide you in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Chapter one is all about having confidence in who you are in Christ. But as we go into chapter two, there's one word, and it's my favorite word. My favorite word in all of scripture, and, and, and it's for two reasons. Number one, it's just fun to say. But number two is because it has a purpose where it directs our eyes, where it tells us we're about to shift directions. Chapter one is all about Peter building you up, helping you understand the confidence you can have in your salvation. But then in chapter two, it begins with a big biblical but to warn you. he not only wants you to have confidence in your salvation, but you need to be aware that there are false teachers. The reality of false teachers. He wants to make sure you have everything you need to be a reflection of Christ Jesus in this kooky culture. You've been justified by Christ. Christ is working in your life and you have his scripture that will lead you and guide you. But he says in chapter two, you need to be aware of the reality of false teachers. If you have your Bibles, you can join me in the letter of 2 Peter Second Peter, we begin in chapter 2, and we're gonna start just with the first three words of chapter 2, and he says this, but false prophets. We well, already went over the big biblical, but false prophets is from the Greek word pseudoprophetai. Two words combined into one word that describes false teacher, a fake prophet, a fraudulent truth teller, Someone who claims to have expert knowledge, but is really just full of hot air. Peter says, listen, I want you to be confident in who you are in Christ, what Christ did for you, what he's still doing for you, and the truth of his word that will lead you and guide you. But you need to be aware the cards are stacked against you. You need to be aware that as you're in the midst of this dark and kooky culture, there are these false prophets. And he says, There's four realities I want you to know about them. There's four powerful truths that you need to know about these people, about these false prophets. You have everything you need, but I need you to be aware. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. He says, But false prophets, here's the first one, who arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you. These false prophets have always been a part. And you look back in history, they were there. If you look at our present situation, they're there. And if the Lord tarries, they will be around long after we have gone. But he says these false teachers, they arose, they came into being, they were caused to be in a certain place. Peter says, listen, the first thing you need to know about these false teachers, they didn't just sprout up on their own. They didn't just come by happenstance. First thing you need to know about these false teachers, they're designed. They are handcrafted and strategically placed to have the most destructive impact on your life and then the ministry of God. And he used a word that's intended to draw us back to a powerful teaching of Jesus. And so I want to ask you, put your thumb in 2 Peter and flip over to the very first book of the New Testament, to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 13. It's important truth that Jesus taught in a parable that I believe Peter is addressing with the early church back then and wants to remind us of today. Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 24. Listen to what Jesus says. Matthew thirteen, twenty-four, he says this Jesus presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprouted and bore again, then the tares became evident also. A tear, a tear is a type of weed that looks just like wheat early in its germination and can only be determined as fake after it is defiled and infected the entire field. Early on, in the early time, when all the seeds are starting to bloom, tares and wheat, they all look the same. It isn't until maturity that you can tell what's a weed and what's wheat. Let's continue and get the, the teaching of this. If we go to verse 36, of that same chapter, Matthew 13 36, then Jesus left the crowds and went to the house and his disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. Jesus, we didn't get that. So Jesus explained it. He says, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom and the tares are the sons of the evil one and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. And what Jesus teaches is, listen, you need to know that in the midst of this field, Jesus is sowing seeds of the gospel that's taking root and growing. But Satan has come and he has planted weeds in that same field that's going to grow and infect and infest that entire aspect. First thing Peter wants us to know about these false prophets. They didn't just come up by chance. It's not just happenstance. No, 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 these people are handcrafted by Satan, strategically placed in their position to have an impact, a negative impact, on you and on the kingdom of God. Well, what are they gonna do? It goes on. So says, false prophets, I'm back in Second Peter now, but false prophets who arose, first thing you need to know, they're designed, they arose among the people, they've been handcrafted and planted, just as there will also be false prophets among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves second thing you need to know about these false teachers number one they're designed number two they're destructive they've been handcrafted and planted by satan in the position they are so they can bring in heresy heresy is uh, defined as divisive and a false teaching but it's not just divisive and false teaching these are destructive heresies right That term destructive, ruinous, heresy that will bring utter destruction, certain damnation, a death sentence. I mean, listen, these guys, Satan has handcrafted these false teachers and placed them in a strategic environment so they can bring divisive and dangerous teachings into the ministry and the lives of people. And Look how bad it gets. It says, even denying the master who bought them. A term, even even as far as where Peter's saying it's unconscionable how far these guys will go. Like they will be so hell bent on bringing in these destructive heresies, they will even deny that term. Deny, reject, turn away the Master, the Lord, the Ruler. It says they will not only they will not only bring in destructive heresies. They'll go as far as denying. The truth of Jesus, and look at this truth. You see that? Who bought them? Man, Jesus came to earth. This is an important truth. Jesus came to earth to provide a way of reconciliation for all people, right? He paid for sin once and for all for those who will receive him. But you need to receive him. He paid the penalty. He bought everyone, but there are some people who will reject it. These guys, what Peter's describing, these false teachers, handcrafted by Satan, strategically placed in a place where they can most effectively wreak havoc on the ministry of God and bring in these destructive heresies. They will go so far as knowing what Jesus brought, rejecting it themselves and doing everything they can to take you down with them. That's what Peter's describing. Man, I want you to understand the passion of which Peter is talking about this. We Sometimes we read the scriptures and we read it like a textbook. Man, my picture of Peter writing it is he's scribbling and there's smoke coming from the pen, man. Like he wants to make sure you understand, listen, this is important. I want you to have confidence in the work of Christ in your life. Everything he's done, everything he's still doing in the word of God, the inspired word of God that can lead you and guide you and direct you in your life. You have everything you need to be a reflection of God in the midst of this dark and kooky culture, but you gotta know there's false teachers designed by Satan, handcrafted, strategically placed to have the most horrible impact on your life where they can bring destructive heresies and they'll go as far as not just rejecting the truth themselves. They'll do everything they can to lead you to reject it as well. Peter's like, listen, you gotta know you have everything you need, but it's not gonna be easy. There's false prophets just as Jesus is at work in you, Satan's at work in them. They're designed strategically placed. Man, they are destructive. They are bringing damnation and brokenness. Look at the result of their work. It says that the truth of God will be maligned. That term maligned, spoken against, blasphemed. I mean, because of what these guys say and because of what they do, the work of God will just be looked down on by culture every time one of these people gives a fraudulent claim about the gospel of christ it makes your job who we exist as a church to be and make disciples of christ man every time one of these false guys talk it makes your job more difficult every time one of these pastors gets up and proclaims the truth of god and we find out he was living a life of hell it undermines the message of the gospel and makes your job more difficult. Man, every time there's these leaders who put everything into this global power structure and they don't and they take the rise off the kingdom of God every time, it undermines your role and your ability to complete what God has called you to do. Man, Peter wants to make sure you got to know about these guys. They're designed, handcrafted, strategically placed they're destructive. Here's a third one. And these guys are devious. They are devious. Look at how he describes it. We're back in verse one. He said, they will not just introduce destructive her- heresies. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies. That term secretly, parasigo, it's where we get our English word parasite. You know about Those. A parasite is just these organisms that work their way into your body and you become sick and you don't even know it. And they slowly grow inside your body until one night. it always happens in the middle of the night. I don't know why you find your face stuck in the toilet. That's what parasites do. It's like, you need to know something about these false teachers. Man, they are not, they are sneaky. They are devious. They function like parasites. You know how much I love the opportunity to be a part of the global kingdom of God. Man, I love the fact that you let me go and continue to build relationships with our partners worldwide in other countries. And they, they are encouraged when I come so that we can partner, but I'm encouraged because it's a reminder that this right here, this church is not the kingdom of God the kingdom of God is global. The same thing God is doing here, he is doing everywhere. And can I say what he's doing everywhere else? It's a lot cheaper. I mean, what God does here costs millions. What God does there costs hundreds. But the work of God is just, and I love being there and being a part of it because it just reminds me. Of the global power of God and what God is doing. But I gotta tell you, every time I go to another place, I get sick. I gotta tell you, I do my best. I put a bubble of Western life around me. I have bottled water everywhere. I only eat certain foods. I do my best. But every place I go, they have organisms and parasites that my body isn't used to. And every time without fail, I get sick. these parasites work to where you just ingest it and you don't even know it. And then you just start feeling a little off. The next thing you know a day or two later, boom! You're sick. Peter says that's how these false teachers work. Man, they are handcrafted. They are designed and strategically placed in a specific place where they can bring destructive heresies into your life to start whittling away at your soul. But you need to understand they work out like parasites. To where you can be infected, you don't even know it until it's too late. To where suddenly you find yourself gravely, gravely ill. Man, you got to understand the passion that Peter has. He wants people to have confidence in what Christ is doing in their life, but be aware, be awake. Be awake. Don't be naive. The very thing that Jesus is doing in your life, Satan's doing in theirs. He is handcrafting and designing them and strategically placing them in places to cause the most havoc in the ministry of Christ and to undermine your soul. And these guys are sneaky. And they're like parasites where they just find some crevice to work their way in and they will start eroding the very fabric of your soul. he keeps going not only are they so devious because they're secretive look at what he verse two he says many will follow their sensuality many a crowd a huge number too many to count without help right many will follow that term follow they will pattern their lives after they will take on the characteristics of, man, you're looking at these, at many of these podcasters and social media influencers and even Christian authors and pastors, and you're looking at them like, wow. There are so many people following them. You base it on the crowd, and all of a sudden you just start listening, and little by little, perhaps, these parasites of falsehood sneak in. And what is it about a man? Even though people are getting sick, they continue to follow why. Look what he says. Many will follow their sensuality. The term sensuality. Sexual immorality, but it includes a lot more than that. Not just sexual immorality. Their insatiable lust for power and control and their greed and desire for shameless excess. Man, you want to know why people follow him, Peter says? Because they say, just do what, may you feel good. Do what feels right to you, follow your heart. You know what the Bible says, the heart is deceitfully wicked, who can trust it? These guys say, no, 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 the Bible doesn't mean that. Go ahead and live that way, if it makes you happy. You know what's going to be fulfilling is having this lifestyle of, of riches and trust in your 401k and your 403b in the stock market and your pension plans and we spend all of our time focusing on building our kingdom instead of his. There's even those who want to distract us and get us so busy focusing on the powers of the globe instead of the spiritual battle that is being waged over the hearts and souls of children? You want to know why people follow them? Because it's easy. It feels good. It feels right in our hearts. Here's something I've learned. Man, if it feels right in my heart, knowing my heart, it's probably wrong. Peter says, listen, you got to know something about these guys. They are designed, man. They are handcrafted by Satan, strategically placed to have the most destructive influence on your life, man. They are destructive. They are devious. They are sneaky. They don't only really find their way to work their way into your heart and soul, but once they get there, they just continue to erode it little by little, and you don't even know you're infected until you're so far off path you don't know where to go. Because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. Because of these guys with such a following, people will have trouble trusting the message of the gospel. They will have a struggle trusting your heart and your intentions. Look at the last thing, though, Peter wants you to know. Listen, I want you to have confidence in your salvation the work of Christ in your life but you need to know something Satan's crafted and planted these false teachers to secretly bring in false truths false doctrines even to the point of denying who Jesus is and what he's about man they not only will give up their eternity with God but they're going to do everything they can to get you to give up your eternity with God as well And they're sneaky and devious. But here's the fourth thing you got to know. They're doomed. I know sometimes it feels like in culture, hey, Jesus, if you know about these guys, why don't you do something? God, it feels like these false teachers are springing up all the time. After first service, one of my kids came and said, hey, dad, I need to talk to you. I think there's someone influencing my life. Man, none of us are safe. And that's Peter's point. You need to be aware. that God has given you everything you need to be a bright light for the gospel, but be aware. Satan has planted people here who will act like parasites and find their way into your soul and slowly erode it over time, but make no mistake, their days are numbered. They are doomed. I hope you understand and respect the four D's in a row. I worked hard on that. (laughs) Look at the last part of verse three. Peter says, you got to know their judgment from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. Peter says, I know, I know it looks like the the righteous suffer and the wicked prevail. He says, you got to know they've already had a legal decision made against them by God. They've already been sentenced to death their judgment from long ago. Man, they were judged a long time ago. Relax, God's got this. And their destruction is not asleep. Their destruction, their ruin, their destruction, their certain damnation, it's coming. I know it feels like sometimes God is slow. I know it feels like Jesus has taken it, taking his hands off the wheel. I know sometimes it feels like Satan's winning. Peter says, you got to know, I know Satan's handcrafted these people and placed them in their midst. And I know that they're finding their way to whittle into the lives of people and erode their soul. And I know they're sneaky and I know they're destructive. But Peter says, I want you to know they are also doomed. And you might be saying, well, what's taking God so long then? A few chapters later, Peter will say this. 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. Sorry, I'm going out of order. Well, I'll just read it to you. 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 9 says this. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Man, what's taking God so long? God's got this all under control. Do you trust him with it? See, here's what I think exists in our hearts. See, when we hear about these false teachers, we hear about these weeds that have been handcrafted by Satan and strategically placed in the fields of God to disrupt our families and our marriages and our cultures and our churches and create all this havoc in the souls of people. We want to go in and we just want to start picketing their pulpits. We want to flame their social media accounts. We want to go and pluck those weeds right out of the dirt and throw them into the fire ourselves, right? Doesn't that exist within us? What do we do? If these tears? are so dangerous if these false prophets are such a problem what should we do what does God desire from us glad you asked because that's a question that people ask Jesus so let's put our thumb in Peter and go back to Matthew chapter 13 Matthew chapter 13 same parable After Jesus described, told this parable of the enemy planting weeds among the wheat. Matthew 13, 24. Look what he says in verse 27. After Jesus describes the enemy planting these tares, verse 27, the slaves of the landowner came and said to him, sir... Did you not sow good seed in your field? How then are all these weeds? Like, what'd you do? Jesus said to them, an enemy has done this. The slave said, do you want us to go and gather them up? Please, please, can we go and pick all the weeds? Doesn't that sound so fun? Just to go and just start nailing all the false prophets and ripping them out and putting their names on the board and just throwing them in the fire ourselves? Listen, I mean, that's in me. (laughs) <laughs> thank you Mike but big biblical but verse 29 right circle it I'm telling you those words it's not just fun to say they're important in scripture but just when you think we can get all fired up and start plucking weeds out look what he says he says nope circle that hey Jesus can we go after all the false prophets nope why For while you're gathering up the tares, you might uproot the wheat with them. In other words, I don't trust you. I don't trust you. You know what? Because sometimes you can't discern broken from devious. I can't trust you to discern between who's confused and who is demonic. I can't trust you on someone who is in the midst of growing and someone who is in the midst of decaying. Jesus says, I can't trust you. Hey, Jesus, can we go and just start flaming people and throwing them into the fire? Nope, because I know you. You're gonna rip up good things with bad things. Look what he says, verse 30. Allow both to grow together until the harvest and then the time of the harvest, I'll say to the reapers, first gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them up, but gather the wheat into my barn. Hey, Jesus, I know Satan came and planted these guys. They're devious, they're designed, they're destructive, they're doomed. Can we go and rip them up ourselves and throw them into the fire? mm God says, I'll do it. I don't trust you to discern the good from the bad. The broken and healing from the designed and doomed. I don't trust you. I haven't given you those eyes to see. Trust me with it, God says. I'll do it. Let me ask you can you trust Him with that? Can you trust Him with judgment? See, after chapter one, Peter's goal is he just wants you to have confidence in who Jesus is and what he's done in your life, what he's still doing in your life, and the word of God that is giving you everything you need. Man, this is the inspired word of God. There is no other inspired, inerrant, authoritative word. I don't care how big the pulpit is, how many books they've sold, or how popular they are with Oprah, their words are not inspired. This is the only one, this is the authority. This is the word of direction that Peter says. And he says, listen, there's gonna be people scattered all over, designed by Satan, filled with lies to sneak their way into your heart and slowly erode at your very soul. Be aware of them. Believe them to me. First thing, Peter says, I want you to know about the reality of false teachers, but number two, he says, I want you to know the reality of God's action. God is not slow to respond. He's got a plan. I know there's times where it feels like he's lost control. He is not. You might be saying, well, Brian, how can we be so sure? How can we have confidence that God's going to judge these guys? That's what Peter gets into next. Look at verse 4. He says, for if God, and I, I was thinking this week, man, that would be a great sermon series too, wouldn't it? If God, man, if God did this back then, why would he not do it today? Like, if God valued this back then, why wouldn't he value it today? Look at what Peter says. For if God, and he gives a number of examples. Look, you can trust that God's going to judge, right? Be aware of his judgment. If God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment. He says, illustration one, look, remember when Lucifer was filled with pride and compared himself to God, and most believe the Bible says about a third of the angels followed Lucifer, followed Satan. And Peter's like, look, God didn't have any problem judging those angels. He goes on, and if God, verse 5, did not spare the ancient world But preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. You remember that? How can we be sure that God's gonna judge the unrighteous? Well, didn't he judge the angels? Didn't he judge all of humanity at the time of Noah? Remember that? Look at how the Bible described that culture. In Genesis... It says this, then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth. You might say, how great? That every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Man, all they thought of was wickedness. And that wasn't just a bad day. That was every day. Man, culture got so bad and so dark. All they could think of was evil continually. The Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. When he saw that, what did he do? He wiped them all out with a flood. Still want more examples. How about verse six? And if God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction... By reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who live ungodly lives thereafter. You want another example? How about Sodom? It says, who is condemned? God rendered a verdict and pronounced their judgment. Reduce them to ashes, Peter says. Remember last week I talked about in 2021 they found the site of Sodom and Gomorrah? Remember that? When they started excavating, remember what they found? Four feet of what? Ash. Wonder why he did that? Hmm. As a reminder, as an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter, as a remember. Man, God, be aware of his, his judgment. Peter says, I want you to be confident in what Jesus is doing in your life and what he's given you in his word. You have everything you need to be a light in the darkness, but you need to be aware, Satan's at work too. Planting these false teachers, man, they are handcrafted and strategically placed to have the most impact, bringing in these destructive heresies like parasites where they sneak their way into your body and they slowly whittle away at your soul, at your marriage of your family, of your church, of the kingdom of God. And Peter says, you need to be aware of this, but you need to be aware. They're doomed. God's got this. You are not to be the fighter of lies. Fighting the lies is in your job. Proclaiming the truth is. Do you see the difference? Peter says, that's not your job. God will judge them. Man, we get so focused on trying to fight the liars that we forget about our ability to proclaim truth to those who are around us. We're so busy fighting the enemy. We're not accomplishing what God gave us. Peter says, be aware of the judgment of God, but also be aware of his rescue. Remember, Peter it's wanting you to know you don't have to move to Texas. You can reflect Christ right here. <laughs> Jesus has already saved you. He is at work in your life. He's given you his holy scripture. Yeah, there's, a, there's probably higher propensity of nuts here. So recognize him, leave him to the Lord, and get to work. How can we trust him? How can we trust that he will rescue us Look at the examples. Again, verse five. Did he not spare the entire world? But big, biblical but right there. Just when he's about to wipe everyone out, who did he preserve? Noah. The term preserve, by the way, means to be guarded, to watch closely, to be walked alongside of. Man, in the midst of all of that grotesque where everyone thought of only wickedness continuously every day, it says Noah preached righteousness in the midst of it. Man, Noah was the one bright light in the world of wickedness. And God preserved him, walked alongside of him, guarded him in the midst of his misery, even though he walked through the valley of the shadow of death. Guess what? He probably feared no evil. Why? God was with him. It wasn't just Noah. Look at Lot. Remember the story of Lot, Abraham, and Lot. They were business partners there together. They were so successful. Their people just started fighting over the same water well. And so they decided, all right, someone go one way. We'll go the other way. And Lot saw the, the comforts of Sodom and Gomorrah and that whole area. So he went and pitched his tents right next to it. Probably not the wisest of moves. Look how it describes Lot. Verse seven, and he rescued righteous Lot, that term uh, rescue, by the way, delivered him, plucked him out of the precarious position he was in and moved him into a position of safety. God rescued righteous Lot, look how it describes him, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men. Man, Lot was burdened by what he saw. He placed himself in that community and he was burdened by the brokenness of their culture. It's not over, look at verse eight. For by what he saw and heard that righteous men while living among them felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. That term tormented, tortured, rubbed raw, immense pain. Man, Lot in the midst of his situation, he broke every day. Every morning, he saw the brokenness of his culture and it just wounded him. Every day. Where he had to live within a corrupt society where immorality was just degrading lives in the midst of racism and bigotry and greed and over-controlling people and all the brokenness. Lot was just sitting there being tortured by the brokenness. Anyone... Anyone else feel a little bit of that? The Bible says God rescued Lot. And right before hell rained down and brought destruction, God moved Lot out of the way. Look how he finishes. Verse 9. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment from the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the flesh and its corrupt desires and despise authority. Pierce says, God knows what he's doing. Listen, you have everything you need. Jesus has already declared you righteous. He is at work in your life to carve out sin and fill you with more and more of the characteristics of Christ. He's given you the truth of his inspired word. You have everything you need to be a bright light in a kooky culture, but you gotta know something. Don't be naive. There are handcrafted, intentionally planted false teachers who are designed to sneak their way into your soul and bring destructive truths that erode your family, erode your marriage, erode your church, and possibly even eat away your own soul. Be careful. But leave them to God. Your job is not to fight falsehood. Your job is to proclaim truth. Don't get distracted by them. God says, they're mine. I'll handle them. You proclaim truth. I love how Jude the brother of Jesus said this. He wrote a letter at the back of the Bible on the same topic of false teachers, and he ended his letter this way. He says, "But you beloved, build yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life." Brian, what do we do? First thing, Jude says, make sure that you're right with the Lord. You stay in His word. Man, don't get distracted by all those kooky talkers. You focus on his word. Get in a small group of people where you can be loved and missed and grown and encouraged. But he goes on and says this don't just focus on yourselves, focus on others too. He says, Look, and have mercy on some who are doubting. He says, Look, in the midst of this, there's going to be some good people who love Jesus who get trapped in some of these false teachings. Questions start eroding into their life. What does God really want? Can he do this in me? Can he do this through me? He says, have mercy on them, man. You go get them. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. There are some who have just bought lock, stock, and barrel, and they are heading towards the road to separation from God for eternity. He says, go get them. Rescue them. And on some, have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by flesh. And there are some where you just have to have mercy. There are some who are so hell-bent and gone. But they're God's issues, not yours. Jesus, Peter, I mean, we should be able to just stop at Jesus, but Jesus, Peter, Jude, all agree. And your focus is not to fight the liars. Your focus is to be a proclaimer of truth. And draw close to the Lord and be the loudest voice in people's ears that you have influence over. That's always been my goal with my kids. They've gone through public school. There's kooks and nuts in their lives all the time. Here's my commitment. I just want to be the loudest voice in their ear. Will you trust God with the false prophets? Will you trust God with your rescue? And will you just... Let go of the liars and focus on proclaiming the truth of the gospel. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation for all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And it shared life to life, faith to faith. That's what we're about. Let's pray. Jesus as a church we are here God because we believe in who you are we believe in what you've done but God we confess sometimes especially living in the culture that we do man it it feels God as if you have not given us what we need there's corruption all around us it seems like immorality is just taking hold There's division in our churches, there's questions in our hearts, there's doubts in our souls. So God, I pray you'll open our eyes, allow us to see and hear the message that you inspired the apostle Peter to give. God, give us confidence in who we are because of you. Let us rest, rest in your grace God, help us be committed in carving sin more and more out of our souls so we can be a brighter and purer reflection of who you are in this broken world. And God, give us confidence and dig us deeper into your word. God, we ask... Give us boldness and confidence. But God, protect us. Help us not be naive. Help us to focus on our faith in you. Protect us from being distracted by fighting the liars. And God, embolden us in being a proclaimer of truth, not for our kingdom, not for our glory, but for your kingdom. In your glory, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.